pull, pull pulling out the coop at the lot told him fuck 12 swat busting all the bells of the box i just hit lick with the box had to put the stick in a box pour up the whole damn seal i'm gonna get lazy <laughs> <laughs> what was that uh, uh it's called <laughs> actually i do know what this song is actually a pretty good song uh it's called the box from roddy rich all right um, there we go that's a new one to me man it's uh it's a now that i think about what that song is it's absurd it's an absurd song but um but i'll tell you what i'm i'm I'm, there's a small part of me that appreciates um that likes the rap from time to time so I'll, i'll i'll flip it on in the car here and there right Roland, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for uh, making some time during this little break that's going on, chaos in the world and everything, and uh, coming on the show and talking a little bit of biz, man. You bet. You bet. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited, right? So, I mean, we are going to talk a lot about the your your wheelhouse, your world, mortgage, uh, mm-hmm. and businesses also, because you do, you're, you're, I mean, primarily, what's your business that you're doing consulting for a lot of people? So, um, yeah, so I think still the bulk of my revenue still actually comes from my urgent care business that I own in Portland, Oregon. Um, I still think that's the leader, but a close second is probably uh, my uh, coaching business that I have. And then, I don't know, it's kind of a three-way tie. I I sold a business in 2020 and took all that money and put it into um, real estate and um, bought a few of them cash, depending on what the deal was. And so uh, that, those cash flow nicely too. So, um, and then I do do pretty well in the market as well. So I'm a, a diversified, uh, diversified with my income, I guess. Nice. And uh, I, I just wanted you to tell the listeners where you're calling from. I think you, what did you say? You're, you're in Costa Rica? Yeah, Costa Rica through, we sold our house uh, f- uh, four years ago and we've been traveling full time. So I move every three months and we live out of Airbnbs. <laughs> yeah, nice. Actually. Awesome, man. And then you just do your business as you're going on the road. Yeah, it's uh it's pretty minimal. Um, I have leadership in place and pretty much everything or either that, or I pay somebody to manage whatever it is. So, you know, I'm, I always tell everybody, I'm not going to be the richest guy you've ever met because I give a lot of my money to other people so that I don't have to do anything. Um, but I will be the guy who works the least and has been to the most countries and has done the most stuff that you'll ever meet because I have my time and I got nice. my attention. So, nice. uh, which to me is worth more than anything. Let me, uh, let me give out the deeds here. So everyone knows. Uh, so we're talking to Roland, uh, Cochran here from triple W and you can reach him at Roland at rollingcochran.com and on Instagram, Roland Cochran, but you basically spend most of your social time on Facebook and that's where you're a lot of engaged going on yeah instagram facebook um you know between the two but i would say i get the most income from facebook um but uh but yeah i prefer my favorite platform instagram i think most people like instagram as a platform it's just simpler and easier and tends to be less drama on there as well nice all right so i'm okay where do you want to begin roland how do we want to begin this oh man um Let's go. Let's well. Let's dive right into. Let's stick with my passions. So passions always a good area to talk about. So to me, um, my belief, my passion, why I spend all my time doing what I'm doing is uh, my own story. Right? They always say your mess becomes your message. Um, I believe that the world's most influential, resourceful. 
um, inspired people are spending too much time behind a desk and a computer just stacking up cash. And um, I think it's a bummer for two reasons. I think one, the world misses out on all of their awesomeness because they spend all their time just um, satisfying clients and generating revenue. But I think the biggest miss on number two is as somebody who's turned my unique abilities into a career and felt what that feels like, it saddens me more people haven't had that experience because to me, there's nothing more fulfilling, gratifying, joyful, whatever word you want to describe it. There's nothing like having a career where you just get to be yourself, do the things you're really, really good at, do things you're passionate about and you get paid and you make an impact. I mean, you literally just, you wake up, exist, do the things you enjoy, be yourself, share your gifts with others. It feels like zero work at all. Right. Nothing looks obvious. I mean, it's just what you already like. And then all of a sudden you get paid. And by the way, you get everybody who's done what I just said gets paid really well. I've never met somebody who's found their purpose and their passion who's not rich. Um, and then on top of that, you're making impact and changing lives. I mean, what could what could possibly be better than a career like that? I mean, somebody tell me. I mean, it is just the it is there's there's nothing more satisfying than what I just described. And few people get to experience it. And um, it's that's sad to me. And so I've dedicated basically my life to changing that. I wanted to ask you, Roland, how is it and why is it that most people get stuck in the rat race? They get stuck in the the cycle of uh, career life and they don't they identify yeah. as somebody, identify as somebody who needs more to be more. Right. So they and it's not their fault. Right. Because no. whole, our whole lives, every book you read, every mentor is telling you get one percent better every day. Right. You hear that. That's like a quote that people say. And it's always, you know, always if you're not growing, you're dying. So it's all about being getting better, getting better, getting better, getting better. You always have to get better, get more money, get a better job, save more save more and spend more. Um, it's like it's just always more of everything. And so that's like the message. And the problem with that message, and don't get me wrong, I have nice stuff. I live a very gluttonous, luxurious lifestyle. So I'm not saying don't make money and don't spend money. What I'm saying is the emphasis is so much on like being different than you are and better than you are, which is a bummer because the person you already are and the person you were born to be born as is the greatest offering and the most effortless job you can do. And so to me, I think people get stuck because they are so worried about being different and better and less concerned with being who they already are. And so they're just, they're not even playing the game, the game that's going to give them everything that they want. They're not even playing that game. They're playing the game of like more and trading, you know, upgrading everything and just trying to just ball out of control, which is cool, I suppose. But if they would play this other game of just being yourself and trying to find, you know, if, if, if school from until you were 18 years old, if school focused on helping kids find their unique abilities, their passions, the impact that really excites them, these kids would come out and make insane amounts of money and they would be so happy 
antidepressants would be only for people who truly have like brain chemical problems. I mean, like it would, the world would transform because everyone would come out of school at 18, ready to share their gifts with the world. And money would probably not even be an issue because some of our gifts don't make a ton of money. I'm really lucky that my, you know, I serve people who have a lot of money. So I'm lucky that I, I, I get, I'm well paid for what I do. Um, But like my sister, she, the problem she wants to solve for the world, uh, animals don't have money. (laughs) <laughs> and so you have to have somebody who has money give you money to help animals. And that's just a harder, that's, that's a lot harder of a thing to do. But, but again, she's happy and fulfilled. She's not wanting and searching for anything. So um, that's how people get stuck. They're just, they're playing a game where you can't win, right? You just have, you always have to get better. And so it's, it's easy to get stuck there because it's an endless game of, of getting better. I love it that you were basically talking about school and things were a little different how they approach it and and we've got our opinions about uh the educational system and things like that but it is funny how people are really hungry at that age and Mm -hmm. i just keep thinking that you jump into your career you're driven by your career you're driven about getting in there and getting started and making that first sale but i have this funny feeling that most people are totally blind to opportunities while they're already running so you're running so fast into your career that you're ignoring stopping and smelling the roses and realizing that that's an opportunity and that's an opportunity. How can we change that Roland? Yeah, you just have to see. So, I mean, one of, one of the, one of the things I always say, and again, I didn't say this, I stole it from somebody, but it's become like one of the slogans of InDesign, which is my coaching business. Once you see, you can't unsee. And so really all I need to do is show, I do three live events a year as part of my it's a one-year coaching program. We do three live events and they're killer live events. They really are. They're there. If you just go on my website and watch a video, they're, they're amazing. Um, the whole goal is once by the time you've come to that thing, you've seen too much. And so everybody who comes to one of those, it's a, they've seen too much. They can't unsee it. And you know, it's, it's like, it's like the matrix, right? With that red pill, green pill. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always tell people, Hey, if you, you know, by the time you come, if you, once you get into my world, man, it's they going back to the other one. So if you like, you know, hooking up with chicks and buying Ferraris and that's the whole thing you want to do, um, then don't come because I'm going to show you stuff. And all of a sudden your interests and where your attention's going to go is going to be more on, um, you know, impact and legacy and building wealth while doing it. And so um, to me, that that's the, the goal is to show them. And that's why I say if we could, before I started this whole thing, one of my, how it started, Manny, was I, I went into high schools because I had a passion to change this story. Um, problem with high school kids is they care-ish and um <laughs> the carriage it was yeah it was very it was it was frustrating for me because literally i would look up so I, was, I, I got the opportunity to speak three times a year to them and you look up and i would say probably a, two-thirds of them are on their phone which irritated me because back in my day you could not be on your phone you yeah. get in like they take your phone yeah. um yeah. Apparently, probably it's not PC, I guess, because taking their phone is a hate crime or I don't know what it is these days. But basically, they probably can't take their probably can't take their phone for whatever reason, because you can't do anything to kids anymore without getting in trouble. And so these kids all got their phones and um, because it's their self-expression tool. Anyways, of course, like, totally. To I get it. Phone, I understand but, it. But I don't accept they're all it, but I get it. Okay. Not listening to me. And so um, that was that was really, really frustrating. Um, but to me, if we could, sh- if people could just see that they were at what they were actually motivated by, truly, like truly uh, motivated by, 
and I can show them because it's, the stuff's been studied. It's 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 not my research. It's research that actually came out of the '60s from Abraham Maslow. Um, we know what makes humans motivated. I'm not inventing this. We know we've studied it, and they're motivated by things, but then they can become unmotivated. And that's what people don't understand is that um, money, money, love, connection, intimacy, and esteem, even awards and recognition. What people don't know is that those things, once fulfilled, we actually become less motivated to fulfill those needs further. And people don't understand that. And so they get caught up in, oh, these things are really, really important. And they keep doing them, doing them, doing them. Um, but anybody who's accomplished anything understands the first time you win the award, it's extremely motivating. The second time, okay, a little less. The fifth, the twelfth, you know, you get your 24th gold medal you know, gosh, I mean, how much is that really motivating you anymore to, um, so the, and it's the same with money. That first 50 K is really great. And then going from 1 million to 2 million, you're just less willing to be as uncomfortable. And then by the time you're going from 10 to hundred, you really aren't willing to be uncomfortable at all anymore because, uh, the motivation's gone down. But the one thing that gives us unlimited motivation for our entire lives is self-actualization. So discovering oneself and expressing oneself. It's why we see podcasts, YouTube. Uh, that's why social media is so um, is so fun to participate in is it's giving these people an avenue to express themselves and you never run out of motivation to express yourself ever. It is an unlimited amounts of motivation. Um, so to me, I, if we can, if I can if just have the opportunity to show people how they're actually designed, they won't argue with me. They'll rock with it. They'll be yeah. like, oh my gosh, I've been doing it all wrong. So that's the long answer to your question is how do we change? You just need to see how we actually work. And then I don't need to prove anything to you. Your past and present will prove it to you for me. I don't have to sell you on anything. You'll see what you've been already dealing with. So long answer. Yeah, no, no. And I totally agree with you. And that's why I was asking about the being blind to it, to these opportunities, because I, I think a lot of people see it, but they don't really see it. They don't look at it or pay attention to it. Right. Which makes me kind of question, um, when should people realize that they need to leave what they're currently doing and try to embrace what they're not doing? Like, is it a small moment that's kind of expressed in their life? Is it a dramatic moment in their life? Like, what is it exactly that kind of people should be paying attention to? So, I mean, your emotions are, they, they serve you. A lot of people think that they're just random. I mean, emotions tell you what to do, right? So if you are bored, the signal is this is uninteresting to you now and it's time to do something different. Come on, it's not rocket science. I mean, that's what boredom is. This is not exciting. Um, if you're happy, it's an indicator to say, do more of what you just did. Right. Um, uh, you know, that's that's what these things you know, when you create an environment for people or you host an event and everyone's really loving the event and you feel really happy that you created this event for everybody. The emotion is saying create more environments like this for more people, create, do more, do more of stuff like this for others. That's so. So when we listen to the emotion, actually stop for a second and understand what it's trying to tell you, it'll tell you everything. If you're bored. If you're frustrated, if you're discontent, I mean, what more do we want? And, but the, the irony is no one looks at the emotions that way. They look at them and then they get all pissed off or whatever, and then they don't do anything. But to me, it's like the writing's on the wall. 
if you're bored and it's not doing it for you anymore, it's time to find something else to do it for you. Now, one thing I do want to clarify is that does not mean quit. You don't necessarily have to do that. For me, like you've probably heard in the beginning of this podcast, I just automate my business and give yeah. somebody else the opportunity, right? Yeah. So I just replace myself and move on. And if you look at serial entrepreneurs, they do this. Now, don't force yourself to be a serial entrepreneur. I am not one. I I really, I do not like opening. Everyone always, people called me that and I forced myself to be one and it caused me a lot of pain and misery. I am not a serial entrepreneur. Somebody called me that once and I wanted to live up to their expectations. I actually don't like working. I don't like problems. Um, I'm pretty, I'm happy with like a 80K a month of income. I don't, I don't, I'm not that guy who needs much more. I just, I like 80. It allows me to invest and allows me to play. Um, so I'm not the serial entrepreneur who can't get enough. So uh, I, again, uh, when I mean move on, I mean, understand we still need money yes. uh, in this world, uh, but start putting your attention on what could life be like if I, if I hired leadership, what would I do next? And really start entertaining those thoughts. Cause I think people get hung up there and then they either, they think they have two options. They either need to quit or hire the perfect leadership, but then they never pull the trigger on hiring the perfect leaders and the perfect employees because they're really not that clear of what they're going to go do next. And so they kind of just stay there for 30, 40, 50 years of their life because they haven't really exercised, well, what, what is this next thing that I'm going to do? And that, that, like for me, speaking at the high school gave me a taste of what it could be like to be a resource to others, which then decided for me to be a resource to business owners, which then led to the coaching program I have now. But if I would have never spoken at that high school, I might've just stayed as a business owner forever. Yeah. So to me, you got to engage and, and, um, follow some of these things that capture your attention, because if you don't, um, you might never have that experience and that'll be that. Roland, I want to ask you about tech versus life. It's just, I'm sure that you're seeing it. I think everybody in today's day, what life, what career life was like 10 day, 10 years ago, what it is today. And when you've got uh, new ideas, new apps and new websites like chat P uh, GPT and everything like that, it's just, are we overwhelmed? I mean, it, it gets me thinking if you're at a certain age bracket, are you just like, what is going on? Why is tech and life moving so fast? I can't even keep up, let alone compete. So I will make it really easy for everybody. So just so you will look at me and you will assume that I know technology or whatever. I don't. Uh, first off, I can't even log into our CRM. That's my <laughs> employees do it. And so um, now I'm not saying be ignorant to it. Here's what I'm going to tell everybody. People don't know. People are confused about what it does. Tech, guys, is a platform to do stuff that was done for the last thousands of years. Everyone needs to come to understand this. Everyone look, thinks of tech as a new thing. Oh, it's technology. And then it just becomes this whole overwhelming or social media. Oh, it's social media. Guys, social media is not any different than the Chamber of Commerce get together that has been going on for the past like 580 years since the Chamber of Commerce was a thing. Like people keep thinking that tech's new. Tech is grabbing stuff that's been done for the last thousands of years and makes it better and more efficient. 
Okay. So even when they grab everything, that's what they're doing. So when you grab a surgery tool and mechanics, they're just making the surgery that's been done for the past 200 years better. And so the same goes for everything. The cloud is not a new thing. The cloud is a bunch of servers parked somewhere where Google bought something and filled it with computers. It's not in the sky, in space, in a satellite. The cloud is a facility full of a shitload of computers. Like everyone keeps thinking it's crazy. So here's what I'll say. Social media is no different. Branding, all this stuff's not different. They're just making your, they're making it Instead of having to go to the Chamber of Commerce, get together and see 40 people, what Facebook and Instagram and all these tech things and websites, what they did was they made it so that you don't have to go anymore. They made it so that you can now do it in place of that and you cannot just go to your local chamber. I could have the same 40 people at that chamber seen at the chamber of commerce the city down the road the city down the street the next state over so that's how i don't get overwhelmed by tech because i do i i i i I don't like technology i don't want to learn about technology i'm uninterested in technology i have a lot of negative things to say about what technology is doing so like my opinions on technology are not that different than your typical person who hates technology because you know uh, you know re- you know traditional person who hates technology what i will say is i have an interest in helping people and so if i can use technology to place my message in front of more people i'm going i'm going to do it and that's what me and you are doing right here yeah, the whole concept so. of a podcast is that now you and i have a relationship and then now potentially uh there's going to be a few other listeners that now gain a relationship with me too, right? So I'm not going to be afraid of technology. I'm going to use it. But I would say it becomes a lot less intimidating when you just look at it as ways of doing the old stuff a lot better and more efficient. So don't don't think you have to learn it. Don't think you have to understand it. Don't just understand how do I take what I'm doing, what's worked forever, what's worked for everybody forever, and is there a way to integrate technology to be able to do that at scale? And uh, to me, that'll help you from getting stressed out about it. I love it. I think that's a great de- definition. Um, let me take a little moment here to do a little history. Uh, we, we like doing the segment history and construction. So but this one's about mortgage rates in Canada. Uh, Five-year, variable versus five years. So in 1975, it was 8.7 variable, 11.5 five-year. Uh, 1985, it was 10.2 variable, 11.75 uh, fixed. Uh, 1990, it was 13.95. Remember those good old days? Uh, variable and it was 13.25 uh, fixed. 1995, it was 7.95, 8.95 uh, fixed. Uh, 2000, it was 7.2% variable, 8.3% five year. 2005, 3.95 variable, 6.05 fixed. 2010, it was 2.20 and then fixed was 5.42. 2015, it was 2.55 variable and 4.64 fixed. And then 2020 was 2.15 variable, 4.94 fixed. And then recently 2022, it's 3.40 variable, 6.045. So we can see how the landscape has changed, and obviously home prices have, were much cheaper back in the 70s and 80s, and then recently home prices are absolutely insane. And, you know, you look at it, and it's, you know, people are having their 
here's the thing. Everyone's complaining about the market. The market's the market. Yes. So to have an opinion about it one way or another is kind of insane. Right. I mean, it just doesn't really, it's not very, it's not going to help you any to have an opinion about whether it's good or bad. It is what it is. And so you have to make decisions based off of what it is. So if you think it's going to change and you have data to suggest that, then okay, you need to make a plan for right now and you need to make a plan for a year from now and two years from now. But in the end, it is what it is. And then the unknowns, what the unknown is. So rather than having an emotional response about it, that just that's not very productive at all. Um, we need a plan and we need a way to communicate to other people who buy what we do to tell them what the plan is. Here's what I always say. There's always a great time to buy a home. Always. I don't care what the price is. I don't care what interest rates is. There is a strategy. There is a mortgage strategy and an offer strategy to get a good deal on a home. Right now, the fact is home equity is going to go up another 5% in the next five years at minimum probably closer to 10 to 15 because of how low inventory is. So regardless, there, there's no going to be a decrease in equity. This is not a bubble. There's no homes. This is a bubbles when a bubble was formed and it shouldn't have formed. Yeah. This isn't a bubble. This is called supply and demand. There are no homes for sale. So therefore the homes that are for sale are expensive. Okay. Yes. There's the equity. We see it. We, everyone's kind of worried right now because we're seeing a little bump in some equity stuff. Um, the home should have never been the price that they were. So that is called a, that is called a very normal correction. Home, home equity is not decreasing. It looks like it's decreasing a little bit in some cities. That was because it should not have gone. So the stock market does the same thing. Stock market will go wild for a month and then it'll tank back down to the, the linear progression that it should have been at. Yeah. And so to me, if you made any decisions on those spikes above the line, you just have to understand that's part of the risk. Anytime you buy above that average, both stocks and homes, you need to understand that you're historically for the last 300 years, that line's there for a reason. It doesn't usually get violated. It is pretty dang spot on yeah. for every up, there's a down. So what I would say with all that history is I wouldn't let it bother you at all. Look at it, make decisions based off of what it is right now. To me, every recession, we are in a recession. That's what's happening. We don't know how bad it's going to be, how long it's going to last, but we're in one of some kind. Um, every recession that has ever happened, home equity has increased. There was one in history where it went down, and that was 07, and that was, I, I don't think we can count that one because- That was a different problem, yeah. Those loans shouldn't have been written in the first place, yes. so we can't. that one's an exception. But if you look at every history since we have been tracking recessions- and home equity. Home equity has increased by a minimum of 2% during every recession. So um, let's just face that fact. What happens after recessions and in recessions? Interest rates go down by, again, a minimum of 1.8%, but they always go down. So to me, home equity is going to go up. Interest rates are going down. Everyone just needs to chill out for a second. And you know what? If you want to do something beneficial, Share the data that I just said. Find that data. Barry Habib, MBS Highway. He's got amazing data on all this. The guy's a freaking genius and a close friend of mine. Um, 
grab all that data that Barry's always pumping out, share that on social, share that with your realtors, share that with your lenders. Everyone needs to see the reality of it. We are not, this is nothing to be worried about. Um, it is totally normal. Is there a strategy to buy a home right now? Absolutely. Buy goes as low down, roll as much of the expenses into the mortgage as possible because you will be refinancing in um, eight months to a year and a half from now. So um, buy house, ask them to come down as low as you can get them. Um, the equity is going to go up get this mortgage who cares what the rates is because you're going to refi and get a lower rate in two yeah. years anyway. So that's my take on the history. I, I love it. It's a great, a, it's a great take. We're in a, yeah. I don't think we're in a bad, I'm buying houses right now and all my rich friends are buying houses. So uh, I don't think we're idiots. <laughs> I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit because this is a part of our, all of our lives. And I want you to talk about failure. I know that we talk a lot about anybody who plays stocks, who plays crypto, who plays in real estate or whatever, plays anything. You don't actually fail until you've actually sold. And it's whether you sold uh, when it's down or if you sold when it's up and the same is vice versa. You don't actually gain until you sell. So how does one in their business, in their careers, realize how to embrace or how to control failure in their lives? So to me, failure, I mean, failure is a word. So the things about words is they only have the significance that you personally decide. So if you decide that they are a failure and that that's a bad thing because let's say you let's say you lost your home you lost your home you move you and your family to a to a three bedroom apartment you sell the $250,000 truck and okay now one could say oh i i am a failure people who lose everything are failures that's your definition you know what i see i see somebody who lost their money and lives in an apartment that's what I see. I don't see a failure. You don't change your identity doesn't change because of something that happened in the marketplace. You're still you with the same skill set that you've always had. Nothing to me, I don't see anything that's changed. I see a person with a skill set, with a wife with a skill set, with three kids with skill sets and unique abilities who happen to now live in an apartment because of the way things are. So Let's just get that out of there. Failure is however you define it. To me, I have grown to just remove it from my vocabulary. I don't see, I, I have not to this day, I've not seen any benefit to having that as a thing that can happen to me. To me, I would just rather it be circumstances that are that have altered my plans. That's what I want to call it. I don't even want to call it failure. I was, I'm in a circumstance now where my preference is not getting honored. <laughs> Things that are not my preference are happening. Okay. But it's not a failure. Second thing I'll say is there was a study done. I can't remember who did the study. I saw it as a keynote speech um, a few years ago. They measured people who made less than um, 30K a year, less than 70K a year, less than 100K a year, less than 1 million a year, and then less than 100 million a year. And they surveyed them and they said, Failure has taught me everything I know. Yes, uh, the, uh, failure has taught me what I'm good at. Yes or no? So failure has taught me what I'm good at. Yes or no? People who made less than 50K a year disagreed. The majority of them. People who made less than uh, 70K a year disagreed. Majority of them at 100K was about 50-50. Um, 
at a million percent, uh, at $1 million or more your annual earners, only 3% of them disagreed with the statement. And then the second you went up to people who are at 10 million above or 100 million above, 99.99999% of them said, failure has taught me everything that I know. And so that study just shows at the top, the how healthy is your relationship with failure? Those ultra high earners have extremely healthy relationship with failure. They understand that without it, they wouldn't be here. So their relationship with it, again, is like similar to my definition. Why would I look at it as a bad thing if it's going to ultimately allow me to strike gold? And then the last thing I would say is if we're going to look Matt Ishbia, he owns UWM, United Wholesale Mortgage, mass, you know, probably the most affluent person in mortgage in the United States. Um, Matt Ishbia was doing a keynote the, just at a conference in Vegas a couple months ago. And uh, afterwards, I heard him kind of talking about failure. And he said, oh, I, I, you know, I fail, I fail, you know, my whole career, I failed, you know, every day I would fail eight times at things, just various things, and I would win 10. And then, you know, five years go by, he would fail 26 times, but he'd win 54 times. Yeah. And so now here he is. Here's a guy who's, you know, his net worth is like, I don't know, over six billion, I think, which is insane amounts of money. And he says to this day, I still fail in a day. I still lose millions in a day. Literally, like, like there's a, there could be a day where he loses like $24 million dollars but he made 120, 28 million. So really when I heard him talk about it, it was like, huh. And so his conclusion was basically, I fail all the time. I just outpace my failures so much that I just don't give a shit anymore. He just doesn't care because it's like, I don't, why would I focus on the 26 million I lost when I made 110 million that day at our company? Like I, I do not care. Obviously we'll take safeguards to try and mitigate how much of that happens. But in the end, he's not going to beat himself up about it because he's like, as long as I keep doing things really, really well, I'm going to fail. I just don't care because I know I'm going to outpace my failures. And it's been the trend his whole entire life. And that was something I just heard a few months ago. And I strongly agree with that. I that's my own. I fail every single day. Yesterday, we made three really significant mistakes. And um, but I also made if we if we if we're if we're keeping track um out of those three mistakes shoot there was probably like 28 really amazing things that happened with our launch yesterday so in the end what am i going to focus on do you actually take the time rolling and and stop and 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 assess that failure and realize exactly what was the the epicenter of that failure and never to do that again yeah so so one of the things especially if you're going to run businesses where you don't work there you need to have a system for your systems. So, and this is something that people don't have. So you need somebody who's in charge of the system, who's in charge, who has a system for your systems. So, and this could be somebody already on your staff. It doesn't have to be a new hire, but somebody needs to watch all the systems. And then when something goes wrong, that person who's in charge of that needs to say what system failed for this to happen. And then they need to go to that individual who's in charge of that workflow and say, this happened. How? And then the person would say, well, and usually the answer is not rocket science. Usually the answer is I skipped a step Yeah. or I did it too fast. 
And then, so that person, the reinforcement there isn't you did it wrong. You suck. The reinforcement is this is why we don't deviate from the system. And if you run your business that way, it's great because now no one's getting in trouble and is a bad person. They just didn't do the system that was established. And because they didn't do it, a problem happened. And yes, okay, if they keep skipping the system, then we need to either ask them why is something wrong with the system you don't want to do, or we terminate the person. But in the end, if you run a business that way, where you have workflows and you have somebody who goes through all the workflows and says, what workflow didn't get followed for this to happen, um, you're likely going to have mistakes happen really, really, really often. I mean, successful businesses have workflows and triggers. So there's a workflow and then a trigger that triggers the next person's workflow. And then you have a workflow and then you have a trigger that triggers the next person's workflow. And then you have a workflow and you trigger and above all of those is a name or names. And it's just that simple. And if you really want to run a great business, teach everybody on your team, what everyone else's workflow is and what the triggers are so that everyone's aware of what everybody else is doing and what the triggers are. So when problems happen, everyone can collaborate say this happens really really often maybe this workflow is too overwhelming or this happens really really often maybe our trigger sucks and we aren't watching this person so the next person doesn't know when to start but because everybody knows of the whole system and whose name's on it they can finally whereas if everybody's just doing their own job and doesn't really care or have any awareness or ideas of what actually goes into start to finish um, don't be surprised if buy-in uh, team buy-in is slow Uh, I want to go back to the beginning when you first brought up about the kids in school. And my question to you is that, is it ever too late to attack something that you never had a chance to or the drive? Because when we're younger, we've got that motivation. We've got that drive. We've got that hunger because it's something new. But as we get older and we're attacked by the failures or we're attacked by just whatever things are going on, it's natural. It's human nature to actually start to think, is it? am I done? Am I tapping out? I'm done. This is, I, I, I got to give up and move on. And I got to look at this realistically. How do you approach that? Most millionaires and multimillionaires made their fortune in three years. It just popped off. They finally figured it out. And so what I always say to that is that could happen when, you know, for me, it happened when I was 27. So from 27 to 30, it popped off. Um, I was lucky because I got a really early start and I had some great mentors and I went to my first conference when I was 16. So I was everything that everybody else starts when they're in like their mid forties and they're like, why am I doing this wrong? I, I learned that that's what they did in their mid forties. I started doing it at 16. Cause I'm like, well, if, if that's what people in their mid to late forties do, who decide they really want to turn it on and make money. If I start that now in high school, I will come out with all the skills that and lessons that they've learned. And so to me, my answer would be, if it really only takes, let's say, let's call it three to five years to pop off and really, and, and really have your offering be embraced by the marketplace, let's not really worry about how old you are. When, why does that really matter? Right. And people are always doing that. Oh, I'm too old for that society. Bro, it's, it's, it's the practices, yeah. the practices got implemented. And then they and then they worked and then the wealth was created in those five years, seven years, whatever the recipe is. So to me, the practices need to get done. There's no age limit on when the practices get practiced. And there's no reason why you can't do the practices faster than the other guy did the practices. That's the thing. People look at me like, oh, wow, Roland, you did it really, really fast. You know what's hilarious, Manny? 
I look back at how I did it and I'm like, shit, I could have done it five times faster. <laughs> Seriously, that's what I look. No. And so to me, when you could sit here and say, oh, it's too late. But it's funny, if he would have asked me my advice, I would have said, oh, no, 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 it, it takes far less than three years. You could do it. You could do it way faster than that. And so to me, what my response to that question would be, it's never too late. The practices need to be implemented. There's so many different ways of implementing the practices. You could bring on a business partner who's really, really good at the practice. I don't, I don't have any partners. I don't like partners. I think it creates more problems than benefits in most cases, but sometimes it's strategic. But I mean, to me, whatever it takes to get the practices done, that's what you do, right? If we look at Elon Musk with Tesla, he hired people and contractors and employees and CEOs and friends and consultants to get the practices done faster than the other guy who was building the other car, right? I mean, it's just, that's what these people do. They get the practices done. So it's never too late. You just need to do the practices. And if you're not doing the practices, you cannot expect to get the results. It's that simple. It's not, you don't need to be smart. You don't need to be gifted. You don't need, you need to do the practices. And if you don't know what they are or you're not doing them, then you cannot expect the results. And that's the problem that we find ourselves in is everyone wants the results, but they're not doing the practices. It's yeah. be, do, have. Everyone wants the, the 6 million, the 20 million. They want to have that. And then they think they're going to, okay, once I have that, then I'll blah, 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 blah. It's the other way around. You want to make two, three, four, five million a year. You need to act like somebody who makes five. You need to, well, first off, you need to identify somebody who can. You need to start acting like somebody who can make $5 million a year. And then you will make $5 million a year. It's that. It's the practices and the belief in oneself and abilities to do it that will give you it. No one got $5 million and then start acting like it. They got $5 million because they showed up like somebody who can. Yeah. It's. I know it sounds pathetically simple, but I mean, if for those listening who are struggling with this, it's the, that's the insanity of what our school system teaches us. And we just, we grow up thinking, oh, once I have this, then I'll be this. And the irony is you need to come out at 18. I, I just use Steve Jobs' example. That guy identified as a stud, even when he was broke and in the garage, he identified as a multimillionaire who was going to change the world. That was his identity. He be that person, acted like that person, and then he got the results that that person had. It's be do have. It's always been be do have. And if you want to have and then do and be, you'll be wanting things for a really, 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 really long time. I'm, I'm enjoying this, Roland. I've got a lot of questions for you. I want to ask you if you can share um, where do you see some new opportunities coming up? Uh, obviously you've got your own wheelhouse going on, but if you're, if you kind of, uh, want to share some, some opportunities that you're seeing, and if they're somehow connected to construction as well, if there's opportunities there, because I think that the industry in general doesn't look further than what's already in front of us. Mm -hmm. Personal brand. And here's why. Think about where the economy has gone. Uh, go way back in the day to the first economies. The first economies, we just didn't have our basic needs met, right? So factories popped up, farms popped up so we could produce goods faster, right? So that was the, and then the, you know, as the industrial economy. And that went on for a good amount of time. People trying to figure out how to create goods and railways and airplanes. And we're just trying to freaking get stuff places, man. It wasn't hard back then. We're just like, we just didn't even have enough stuff to, for the people who needed it. Then from there, we transitioned into the connection economy, which was, okay, now we have too much stuff. 
and no one knows about its existence. So here I have this brand new freezer that everyone should have to keep their food and no one knows about freezers. So the connection economy was born and the connection economy was all about taking businesses with a solution and pairing them with people with a problem. And so then that economy went on for a good 50, 60 years. And then Mark Zuckerberg saw another need. He saw that people now we're living in a world where we have all of our needs met. People started to feel unheard, unseen. They felt like everybody else was dictating their lives, that they that that the there was like 10 people who dictated the way everything were and people didn't really like it. So there was this need to be seen and be heard. So Mark created Facebook and then we had YouTube and then we had Instagram, then we had podcasts and webinars. And now we live in a world where everyone has a platform to express themselves. Every single person, you just got to type it in online. So now in a world where we have no lack of resources, we have no lack of connection, we have no lack of tools to express oneself, there's one scarcity that remains. And it's self-actualization, right? It's purpose. I call this the purpose economy. People want to know what is my purpose? What's my calling? Why am I here? What am I designed to do? That's what everyone wants. And if you don't believe me, the data is everywhere. Coaching used to be a $2 billion industry in 2014. It is now in 2022, a $16 billion industry. It's rare to meet a successful, fulfilled person who doesn't have at least one coach. Look at the top 20 best-selling books. Half over half of them are self-improvement, self-development books. I mean, the the economy is shifting. People want to be who they are. They want to be better. If you we look at who's famous and who people follow, it used to be movie stars. Now it's random freaking people like Joe Rogan and Ed Milet and Greg Cardone. It's people. It's humans. They're not movie stars. They're humans crushing it at life. And those are the ones that are getting the most attention, the most money. We are in an economy right now, Manny, where everyone wants to find their purpose, self-actualize it into the world, monetize it, be heard, be seen, make a difference. And the people who are famous and getting paid have done it. So what's the massive opportunity right now? Develop a personal brand that's rooted in your purpose, make it known within your marketplace, and you will beat everyone else because we are exiting an economy where wealth and status and all the stuff that used to matter through the 80s, 90s, and even early 2000s, those things don't matter anymore because everyone's so full of it and there's and everything's just nice. There's a lot of good, there's no lack of good people at their jobs anymore. There's people who are good at their jobs everywhere. Right. When I was hiring my I'm building a house right now in Sedona, Arizona, when I was hiring contractors, there was not a shortage of luxury people going to build a six million dollar luxury home for me. There was a line out the door and I saw their homes and their clients were extremely satisfied. So my I was not hunting for a really good builder. I was building a home when I had a plethora of options. So in a world where there is no lack of people great at their job, who did I choose of all those luxury builders? What was your final? Who did I choose? Yeah. What was I your... chose the guy who I felt like was the guy I wanted. And I mean the person. I chose him because of who he is as a person. Not the reviews. All the reviews were great. All the homes were gorgeous that they all had built. I chose him because I wanted that gentleman building my home. And that is how especially older millennials from 1977 to 1984, who, by the way, have the highest spending power right now and will for the next 20 years. That is how they make their decisions. They make their decisions based off of the personal brand. There's studies, Brand Builders Group. I can, I can send it to you, Manny, after yeah, this. There's a yeah, study please. from the Brand Builders Group 
that studied this people, older millennials and below. And then Gen, Gen X, oh my gosh, you see these young kids. They are like 98%. They, they even decide who they're going to date and vote for based off of their personal brand. So this is the future. So to me, you want to know what the biggest opportunity is? This. And here's why I say you need to start right now because we are right in the beginning of it. This is like this is like somebody telling you to buy Bitcoin in 07. That's what this kind of opportunity is. For those of you that triple down on your personal brand and you show people who you are, what your purpose is, what you stand for, why the world's going to be a better place with more it here's how i word it if they believed the if there was a hundred more of you that the world would be better that the industry would be better that the market would be better that's the personal brand we're going for so i'm not talking about oh here's my logo here's my website here's my this here's 10 tips to blah 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 no that's not what I'm talking about i'm saying a successful personal brand is when someone looks at you and says i wish there was a hundred more of him or her because this world would be a better place. That is a successful personal brand. That is what I have personally done. That's why I have no problem getting business, referrals, making money. Because everyone says, wow, if there was 100 more Rollins, wow, where would we be? That, to me, Manny, is the personal brand. That's the opportunity. If you can create that and you start now, and you will now, because everyone's going to see this and catch get on board. So yeah. 10 years from now, this will not be rare, especially with somebody like me who's running around speaking on stages all year and, and teaching people how to do this. I'm helping them catch up. So this is not going to be a rare thing. But I will say for the next 10, 15 years, it will be rare. And if you can become this person now and build a following and build a brand around that, you will dominate. And when they decide to catch up, you'll be light years ahead of them because you'll have been the guy who already did it. I totally agree with you. And I do want to ask you about um, when you are building your personal brand, then you're um, you're allowing, I guess, the market to possibly come after you and attack you. And they will always try to attack you. Anybody who actually shares their opinion on social media and like a lot of people that you've shared on this show, their names, they've all been attacked. So we I mean, we mm -hmm. could touch a little bit on on cancel culture kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. And how do you uh, navigate through those waters? Oh man, let's see how much that's a well. Tough I mean, you question. get out there, right? You how totally much, get out uh, there. You want to share right. information, and then right. you, you've got a select group of people. And and uh, to be very honest, it's probably like a, a single digit percentage point of sure. people that are coming out trying to be as loud as the other ninety nine percent of people that are supportive of what you're doing. Sure. Um, what I would let's see how much time have we got. Um, I got four minutes. Here's the short answer. Oh, to you this. got four minutes. Wow. Okay. Here's the short answer to this. The ultimately you have to ask yourself what opinions matter. So there's this there's this belief that like oh don't care about what other people think. I hate that because we've been given something called the ego which cares about what other people think and it's a valuable tool because there's a reason that no one listens to the guy downtown on the megaphone who's saying Jesus is coming you need to be saved he's not assessing the situation around him now had he built a church and had a message people might actually go but because he's covered in dirt and yelling at everyone he's not going to change a single person so you need to care what other people think but here's the more accurate way to say it. Decide before you start with your personal brand who it is that you care what they think about you. So to me, when I see someone make a comment, it literally it affects me zero because before I launched my personal brand, I decided I only care what these people have to think. Now, when that person says something, 
then I care. I listen. But the the bulk of the people who have comments to say, they're broke people who are pissed off, who disagree that you can make unlimited amounts of money, or they think that they're, you know, again, I could just care less about their opinion. I care about the people I serve. The people I serve are hardworking people who want to really do something and make an impact. And somebody like them would never say a comment like that. And so I know that. And so when I see those comments, it doesn't affect me at all because those aren't the people I'm serving. Now, I don't get a lot of hate because I've been very tactful in who follows me and how they follow me because I don't just post content to please everyone. I post content to please my clients. And so the bulk of my clients are ideal clients. And so I honestly, I've, I only get hate comments on my paid ads that are going out to the world. I don't get any hateful comments on my actual followers because I've designed a following of people who would never say something like that to me. I love it. Great. So you only got a few minutes left. Uh, yeah, I got a, uh, I, I got, man, I'm so busy this week. No, it's bro. fine. I, I want to quickly do the 12 questions and then yeah, I just want to ask you one last question before we wrap it up. Uh, you ready yeah, for this? We'll just do rapid setting on these ones, man. Ready? Uh, what Go is your it. favorite construction word, Roland? Word? Oh, uh, let's go. Uh, let's go with. Uh, uh, give me a second. Uh, what's the? It's such a cool thing. I we 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 put it in the house. What trade? Um, what trade? What's a, what it's, a, it's it's a it's it's dirt that you compress and it turns into a wall and it's super rare. Um, what do you call that? Um, dirt that you compress. Yeah, you literally take dirt from the lot and you put it in an extremely expensive machine and you crush it and it turns into an extremely durable, hard material. Um, I don't even know that. I have no idea. It's called, uh, yeah, I'll send it, I'll send it to you. Sure. Literally, and and they layer it. And so when you do it, it looks so cool because it's layered with all the sediment on it. It's super rad. Oh, wow. What is your least favorite construction word? Uh, least favorite, uh, uh, expense. <laughs> Inflation. Uh, what turns you on in construction? Um, swimming pools. What turns you off in construction? Uh, people who don't care about their job. What is your favorite curse word? Uh, shit balls. <laughs> what is your favorite vehicle in the entire world? Oh, I would say right now I'm um I'm into uh I'm into the newer McLarens, I would say. What is your least favorite vehicle? Uh least favorite uh uh, uh good question. Um anything electric. <laughs> <laughs> what construction sound or noise do you love? Um Oh man, the 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 nail gun, right? That compre- anything with compressed air. Compressed air. Uh, what construction sound or noise do you hate? Oh, anything that I can hear from like six houses away from me. <laughs> yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt one day? Um. Oh, you know, I think uh, I think I think wealth management would be fun. Because you yeah. can really, you can really change the direction of people's lives. What profession would you not like to do? Uh, construction. <laughs> no, I'm just messing <laughs> with you guys. Uh, yeah, no, real estate. They get, yeah, they have a really awful job. Last question: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, heaven does exist. I'm in it right now. You create heaven on earth. Um, I believe that. I think when you read the Bible through the lens of creating a heaven on earth. I think that heaven on earth is exactly what 
Jesus and God told us was possible. So um, I'm there right now and it's freaking amazing, dude, is I can create whatever I want and I have created whatever I want. And I've never met someone who can't create whatever they want. And I've never met someone who does anything who's selfish because anybody who's actually acting like themselves is serving other people at scale. So what would God say? He would say, keep crushing it, bro. Nice. Thank you so much, Roland. <laughs> I got one last question. If you can quickly answer before you got to take off is yep, do it. Um, how can you sell such a premium service and or product? How easy is it? Because I mean, today everybody is, is trying to sell more expensive products. We saw it with Steve jobs and you know, he was launching computers that were far more expensive than everybody else. But everybody nowadays is selling a far more expensive product and or service What's the basic understanding behind that? How to get that client to buy that create, more premium? Create a personal brand rooted in purpose and fueled by legacy. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Roland. I really appreciate it. Everyone check it out. Hey, www.rolandcochran.com. Uh, yeah, Thank you. I, really, I, know, I know you're a busy guy, so I really appreciate your time being on the show and sharing so much, man. Very valuable. Yeah, thanks, brother. Hey, hey uh, reach out to me afterwards. Let's, uh, let's do this again. For sure. We'll talk soon. Take care, Roland. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, Manny. Talk bye. soon. See you.